pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 261. Today I'm going to chat with Kevin Estella from Fieldcraft Survival, discuss the latest insane rhetoric from the President on Firearms, highlight a new 5.7 from Ruber, and talk about a plot to track firearms purchases by credit card companies. I'm your host, Ava Flanell. Kevin, how are you doing today? So far, so good. I'm in the process of getting caffeinated, so I'll be better by the time the podcast is over. Oh, nice. I, you know, I think I've actually only had one cup of coffee today, so it's better than nothing, right? Agreed. I just got back from North Carolina, and I'm thrilled to be back in Colorado where it's nice and dry and the bugs aren't like the size of my fingers. And it was weird because I like was brought back to like how when I lived in New York, the things that I forgot about, but like you walk into a room and it smells like super like musty because it's so damp and nothing dries and just that smell and then at one point we were downtown eating and we were walking back to the car and there was like cockroaches that were like uh i mean maybe two inches long and stuff like that i do not miss and then my hair forget about it so i'm just glad to be back in colorado and yeah but i'll talk more about my experience uh with stag and classic firearms here shortly in the meantime though before we start the show i want to talk about smith and wesson They just came out with the new MMP 2.0 metal. And what that means is the 2.0 metal, it's made out of a T6 aluminum. So the frame is the T6 aluminum frame. The slide is steel. It actually just adds two ounces compared to the polymer frame. But I got to say, it just makes all the difference when you're shooting it. It was just really enjoyable right when I took it out of the box. First thing I noticed was the color, actually. I was expecting like black, but it's actually Cerakoted in tungsten steel and or tungsten gray. And it just has this like really pretty, almost like shimmer to it. That looked cool. It fits 17 round magazines. It has that flat face trigger that we're all used to. But I got to say the recoil on this thing was just amazing. It comes with seven adapter plates so that you can fit all the common optics, four different palm swells and a front strap to optimize the fit for your hand. And then MSRP on this is $8.99. If you guys want to check it out or see what it looks like, head on over to smith-wesson.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Okay, so Kevin, before we start talking about Fieldcraft Survival, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into this industry. Gosh, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define the industry. I mean, <laughs> the, the survival community is a little bit of, of this, a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Survival is just one of the smaller segments within the bushcraft community because survival is kind of like the, the worst case scenario. But if you're only training for the worst case scenario, you're really not learning how to how to live outdoors and, and recreate outdoors and utilize resources from the land. So, I mean, everything for me, it starts in childhood. Uh, my dad grew up in the Philippines during World War II. And in 1941, when the Japanese Imperial Army invaded, my grandfather moved a lot of the town into the jungle. And they lived there from January of 1941 to approximately August of 1945. So as a little kid, I was really hyped up, 
you know, learning about my dad's history and how he lived in a cave. And, you know, he was basically a real life Tarzan. And, uh, you know, that never went away. Like I always found it interesting when I was a kid to, to go camping or to go fishing or to take the mountain bike and go up into the, into the hills. And just, I had more of an allure uh, to the great outdoors than I did to organize sports or anything like that. So I always tell people like to this day, I can't tell you the name of five players on any professional team, you know, or three players, you know, mm-hmm. I just, I know I'll watch them with my friends. If, like we got a Super Bowl party or something like that, but I really don't care. I tend to watch more commercials than anything else. Mm-hmm. No, the, the great outdoors, I mean, in the industry, like just going through like a brief timeline as a kid, learned from my dad, teenage years, learned from friends uh, and, you know, got into other activities like whitewater kayaking, canoeing. Uh, early 20s, I tended to formalize my outdoor education by going to like Jack Mountain Bushcraft, Maine Primitive Skills School. I eventually met my second mentor, uh, Marty Simon. Uh, he and his wife had a survival school up on the U.S.-Canada border in New York. Uh, so you mentioned New York, but uh, we were way up there, like mm-hmm. U.S.-Canada border, Shattagay, New York. And then over the years, you know, just got into all these different activities that are all under that bushcraft survival kind of umbrella. Um, started training in Filipino martial arts, which exposed my eyes to, to a lot of other interesting instructors and picked up some talents there. And, you know, throughout this whole time, communication changed. I mean, I learned a lot in person and then late nineties when the internet was really blossoming, you know, I got onto discussion boards and, you know, message boards, which today seem really creepy because who uses those anymore. Mm-hmm. But, um, that was it back in the day. Like, I would go on knife forums, blade forums, uh, hoods, woods, outdoor survival forum, uh, Ramanon, you know, there were all sorts of these different discussion forums and I had a chance to get out there and learn. So, I mean, I don't know what you could say would be my formal introduction to the outdoor industry, but I mean, geez, there's been so much over the years I can say were were pivotal moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. At what point did you join forces with Fieldcraft Survival? Uh, so Fieldcraft Survival reached out to me. Actually, Mike Lover reached out to me after my book was published. He read it and he told his girlfriend at the time, he's like, this is the guy. Like he's holding up the book. Apparently, this is how it mm-hmm. was, the story was reiterated to me. And he's like, this is the guy we want to get for the company. So he had me on the podcast. We talked for like 90 minutes and two hours on the podcast. And then when the podcast was over, we talked for like another 90 minutes about both being the same age, both being six foot tall, half Asians, you know, like we, we had a lot in common and we just had a good rapport. So the following year during the height of COVID, Mike reached out to me and he was like, Hey, um, have you ever thought about teaching survival skills full time? And I'm like, dude, I thought about it, but my full-time gig at the time was a high school history teacher. And I was like, I've got a good thing going. He goes, well, what if I were to offer you this, this, and this, And at that time, we were right in the middle of like distance learning and masking up and all sorts of nonsense COVID stuff. Mm -hmm. And if anyone's offended by me saying that, yes, it was a lot of nonsense. Right. Uh, You know, so uh, I was like, yeah, I'll I'll think about it. I flew out to Arizona in August of that year. I taught one class, which was kind of like my informal, like job, not rehearsal, but my uh, audition. Mm -hmm. And they they liked me and they're like, hey, we want you to, to join us. What do you think? I thought I was going to finish up my 15th year of teaching. And that year it just got even crazier with COVID. And I was like, I'm done. So in October, I put in my two weeks notice. And by November, I was out in Utah looking for places to live. Damn. 
that's pretty cool. It's actually kind of cool that you were also a history teacher. Did you by chance like teaching any of your skills onto your students? You know, every so often I, I had an opportunity to do that. Like every so often I was able to, you know, in like a geography and cultures class show primitive fire starting or primitive weapons that I would have to severely, severely neuter. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd have to take off like the, the field point on an atlatl and put a, a racket ball on the end. So I couldn't hurt anyone with it. And we'd mm-hmm. go off to the football field and throw the atlatl around. So yeah, every chance I got, I, I tried to incorporate survival stuff because it is interesting. It's definitely something that, you know, resonates with people. And whether I was teaching like a survival class, uh, I'm sorry, not a survival class. I was teaching survival content or I was talking about like the the mindset that's needed for someone to get through like a harrowing scenario like World War II uh, with like the Belarus Jews escaping into the forest. Like I always had something interesting I could I could add. I was able to color the normally boring history with some personal experience. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love that job was that so much of it was just talking about stuff that people don't realize the past relates so much to today. And when I can explain how it's impacted me, like the kids, they, they it registered with them. They realized, wow, this isn't just like a guy that's just like repeating what he's heard. Like mm-hmm. he really believes it. And, yeah. and I truly do to this day. I wonder if you influence students to get out there and do stuff outdoors, especially like nowadays. Because, you know, I've had a few conversations with people who have asked me, you know, if I'm going to have kids. And I'm like, honestly, I'll be honest, like kids nowadays suck. Why do I want to have kids? <laughs> They're lazy. They seem entitled. They don't even want to get their driver's license, get a job. I mean, forget about going outdoors, playing, you know, doing anything outdoors nowadays. And so I wonder if that conversation that you had with your students, if that was, you know, influential at all. Oh, I, I know it was. Uh, and they say that a teacher's job, like you can never measure the impact that you've had. And, yeah. and I do have a box at home of from one year to the next letters of of just gratitude from students at the end of the year saying, you know, I, I had a preconceived notion of what this class was going to be like. You changed my mind or, hey, I want to become a teacher because of you. Or, you know, I went camping and I practiced something that you just mentioned in passing in the hallway. Like mm-hmm. there, there's no doubt about that. And as far as kids being kind of shitty, there's there are some shitty kids out there, um, which I directly contribute to the, the parenting. Yeah, And I've yeah. met over the years, a lot of amazing kids that are still like old fashioned values. They mm-hmm. still say please and thank you. And, and they're truly genuine because the family is there. Yeah. So, you know, for a long time in, in a past relationship I was in for seven years, I thought kids were off the table. I didn't think I was going to have any, but in this new relationship, I'm totally planning on it. So I think it really comes down to the parent. And I think good kids are still possible. Yeah. It's just unfortunately not as common as it used to be, which, you know, kind of sucks, but it definitely, I think it has to do with like your upbringing and, you know, what the parents will allow. And unfortunately, I think a lot of them are just too busy to discipline. Yeah. And they, they don't want to be the bad guy. It's like, okay, your kid has a lot of friends. They don't Mm -hmm. need you to be one more, be the parent. Totally. You know, and uh, as a teacher, I'll tell you one of the weirdest things that I ever have happened to me was at parent conferences when a parent comes in and says, "How do I discipline my child? What do I do?" And I'm like, "You need to figure that out. I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not there with you at night to walk you through the process. Mm-hmm. You need to to do that on your own and discover what works." Yeah. Have you thought about joining any of the TV shows like Naked and Afraid or anything like that? You know, Ava, I'll tell you, I've been hit up <laughs> plenty of times by Naked and Afraid. Yeah. Uh, I was hit up by Dual Survivor. Uh, I'm trying to think some of the other shows over the years that reach out to me. One Car Too Far. 
That was a brief show that was on. Uh, there are a whole bunch of other ones. And I have done a full pilot for the History Channel in the past. It was mm-hmm. called Cold Hard Cash. And it was fun. But one thing that people have to realize is anyone that's in the survival industry that goes on one of those shows, you are putting your career at stake because the survival industry is very cutthroat. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is there are people that want to take your place. Uh, and I will say that the producers on those shows, they hold all the cards. Yeah. Um, when I did that full pilot for the History Channel, 15 or 20 minutes before we were uh, inserted into the field, we had to sign an additional contract that said at any time the producers could change the flow of the show. And basically the premise was we were walking over close to 30 miles in the desert without water. With, like we had to find everything along the way and we had to take a novice. And at one point they did stop us because we were making such good progress that the show would have been over way too soon. And we're like, what the hell is this? But mm-hmm. looking back on it, it's the idea that the producers controlled how far we could go, what we could do, um, you know, and you just got to be careful. So if I ever did a show again, I wouldn't be on there as a contestant. I'd go on as like a judge or a subject matter expert. I'd want to be able to have control of what I say, what I do, as opposed to, you know, a producer that's pulling my strings. And I mean, I just don't want that. Mm -hmm. No, that makes perfect sense. And for somebody who's done a little bit of dabbling with reality TV show, it's total BS. Like, it's gotten to the point where it's really hard for me to even watch any type of reality show, whether it's like Housewives of New York or Colorado or whatever, or, you know, Naked and Afraid because it is just heavily altered and anything but reality. So it's frustrating. Yeah. they And they call it unscripted, but it's like, come on. Yeah, it's totally you, scripted. You know, like what production value would you get as a production crew if you said, hey, we're just going to go there. We don't know what's going to happen. Like they have an idea of what they need to get, the money mm-hmm. shots. Absolutely. And, And anyone that doesn't believe that, you're a G-damn fool. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take a quick break, talk about primary arms. If you need parts to complete an AR, check out Primary Arms. They've got a bunch of parts on sale right now, especially parts from Expo Arms. Right now, if you buy an Expo Arms Combat Series 5.56 barrel, you'll receive a free M-Lock stopping device from Expo Arms when you use the code GUNFUNNY. And that is all one word, G-U-N-F-U-N-N-Y. And that is at primaryarms.com. Tell me about Fieldcraft Survival. Wow. Uh, that's a loaded question right there because (laughs) we are a very, very progressive, like forward moving company and we're constantly growing. Like when I joined the company in January of 2021, we were at a certain level and we are light years beyond that today. And we have even more room to grow before the end of the year. And I always tell people, it's hard to explain what Fieldcraft Survival is because it's changing so frequently. But the answer that has worked for, for me, at least for the past couple of years, is we stand on three legs. Fieldcraft Survival is a media company. Mm-hmm. We produce products and we also provide training for civilians to become better prepared versions of themselves. So the media side, we have a very large presence on Instagram and on YouTube and with our own podcast. On the product side, we have a lot of med products and soon-to-be survival products. 
you know, we have a couple things in our store that are related directly to what I teach, which is all the wilderness survival stuff. Um, soon we'll hopefully have my, my second book out that, you know, I wrote last year in October. And then we have our training side. And the training side is survival, med, mobility, which is all vehicle-based. And then we have, which a lot of the audience members here will appreciate, all the firearms training. And that's pistol training, it's carbine training, and it's precision scope rifle. Nice. Very nice. And you're actually a firearms instructor, right? No, I will never say that I wear that hat. I've been an assistant instructor on a couple of courses, but we've got guys that are way better at gun handling than I am. I mean, I'll say that I, I'm no slouch. I'm not also not going to, you know, inflate my head. Uh, you know, I've graduated from gun site, earning the silver Raven a couple of times for student shoot offs with like 26 students. And I've been through a number of courses through SIG Academy and before performance and AMTAC training. And, you know, I've done a lot, but I don't wear the gun instructor hat. We've mm-hmm. got guys that have prior military experience, law enforcement experience, armed professionals that do that. If I'm ever teaching a firearms class, it's usually hunting or it's defensive shotgun. It's, mm-hmm. it's the classes that relate to the things that I know, which are, you know, sportsman like activities or, Hey, you've got a 12 gauge pump shotgun in your camp. There's a bear. How do you load that thing quickly? How do you do a select slug drill? Like I can bring that knowledge to the table, but I would be a total, total phony if I was like, oh, I'm this badass tactical instructor. It's like, no, dude, I'm just a civilian that likes to shoot. Yeah. Do you think I'm a phony if I'm a firearms instructor and I don't have (laughs) military or law enforcement? No, no, because... Because as long as, as long as instructors stay in their lane, yeah, I think we're good. Absolutely. You know, I think it's, I think it's funny when you see someone who is, and this is one of my pet peeves. It's like, you're a civilian. You talk about going to work as say a banker, or you talk about going to uh, work as a line cook, you know, or whatever. And you're running a battle belt teaching and of course being like, Hey, we're going to draw from open carry. It's like, mm-hmm. maybe you want to, teach to reality. Yeah. And that's something that I'm just a stickler for. I, yeah. I love telling people like, Hey, train like it's real. If you're used to carrying that subcompact gun and appendix, I know the Glock 34 is awesome outside the waist belt, but if you're not carrying that thing, you're doing fantasy reps, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow and don't get me wrong. I've got some fantasy guns that I love taking to the range for fun, but I make sure that I get in plenty of good reps with the actual gear that I carry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I actually, so I was just at Thunder Ranch and took an AK class and Clint Smith said something like, I wish I remembered, but basically not just training with the gear that you have, but just everything so that you have just a nice platform so that if you were ever in a situation where let's say I've always trained with ARs and handguns, now suddenly I'm in a position where there's only AKs, at least I've trained with that and I've become, you know, pretty well versed in everything. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And uh, my friend, Bill Rapier, uh, who runs Amtac Training, I was a guest instructor at his advanced modern Minuteman class a couple of years ago. And he does a whole foreign weapons block. Because if you think about it, there are ways of getting over the southern border and the northern border, mm-hmm. and you're not getting stopped. And what that what I mean by that is there are people that could get weapons into this country, use them, and Again, the scenario, I can't tell you what it's going to look like, but you may find yourself in a foreign country or in an event where you find something on the ground. And and granted, the whole concept of battlefield pickup 
isn't a great one, but if you have nothing else, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you should become familiarized with it. Not to mention, I mean, as a history guy, I just love knowing how certain firearms work and when they were developed and how advanced they were for the time. Like, I mean, if you're a shooting enthusiast, you should be as excited trying to to try out a muzzle loader for the first time as you are like the high end, you know, Barrett MRAD, Mm -hmm. you know, badass precision rifle, like learn both. They're awesome guns. Yep. I agree. Let's go back to survival skills. So what are, what are some tips that you can give listeners if they don't have any type of survival skills? I mean, where would they start? Okay. So if you're looking to start somewhere, start with your weaknesses. The easiest thing that people can do is carry equipment that addresses their weaknesses. So if you do not know how to make fire off the land by uh, the bow drill, the hand drill, fire plow, then you might want to throw a lighter in your pocket. And even when you do acquire those skills, you're going to realize you should still have that lighter in your pocket because it's 99 cents and you get a thousand one second fires out of it. Mm -hmm. So number one is pack to your weaknesses. Number two, stop comparing yourself to the pros. And I don't mean that in like in a derogatory way, I'm just saying you need to become a better version of yourself as opposed to trying to run that marathon without training at all, expecting results overnight. You know, it's kind of like folks that go to a seminar with an SF guy and they're like, Oh, you know, I train with SF. It's like, no, you went to one seminar yeah, and you know, it doesn't automatically make you a badass by association. Mm -hmm. So I would say, stop comparing yourself to the pros out there because they've spent a lifetime learning that you're at the starting point and guess what? They were too. So if you are going to compare yourself to a pro, compare yourself to that pro when that pro is in the same shoes as you are now. Otherwise you're going to be very, very upset that you aren't progressing fast enough and you're probably going to drop the acquisition of skills. Mm -hmm. Um, The third thing, and I'll just keep it real simple. So pack to your weaknesses, stop comparing yourself to the pros. The third thing uh, I would say, as far as the survival skills, is be realistic. And that relates to what is a realistic scenario that you're going to encounter, both possible and probable, where you are. If you want to come and learn from folks in the desert, that's great if you live in the desert. If you spend 95% of your time in the boreal forest or 95% of your time on the coastline, you probably want to learn from an expert or learn from an instructor who's going to teach you the skills there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are instructors that take trips to the jungle, some really awesome things that teach you survival concepts that are universal, but you should be learning the skills that relate to your area because that'll give you the greatest success. Nice. And then do you do any sort of prepping? Oh, I'm a prepper. No doubt about it. And I don't care if there's a stigma, but I have gear staged in my vehicle. I have gear at home, uh, you know, in my my family's property back in Connecticut, I have gear that I've staged there so I can just fly in and I have stuff. I don't need to worry about bringing everything with me. Mm -hmm. And by prepper, people think prepper for like end of world, you know, scenarios, doomed scenarios. You could be a prepper if you're prepping for a motor vehicle accident, you know, putting a couple tourniquets on the oh crap handles that are above your door. Mm -hmm. That's being a prepper. You are preparing for something. I hate the term prepper, but I'll say that I am one. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I just think that I live a very self-reliant lifestyle and I tend to be very progressive and I'm not reactive. I'm more proactive than anything else. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I'm going to take another quick break. Talk about Mantis. 
if you want to take dry fire to a whole new level, definitely check out the Mantis X10. The X10 is Mantis's latest generation of shooting performance systems, smaller and lighter than previous versions, and has a longer battery life. They mount directly to a Picatinny rail, and it gives you an incredible amount of data on your shooting performance, both from dry fire and live fire. Mantis has a ton of different adapters for pistol mags, barrel attachments, and more if you don't have that Picatinny rail. You could also attach it to a rifle, shotgun, or bow and arrow. If you want to check these out, head on over to mantisx.com. Let's talk about when you wrote your first book. What was that like, and how long did it take? So the first book uh, came about after I had already written about 150 magazine articles for 20 different magazine titles. And, you know, I really enjoy the, the writing process. I mean, as a kid, I grew up reading Outdoor Life and Field and Stream, Sports of Field, American Survival Guide. And I always looked up to the writers that wrote those articles. Man, they're doing some cool stuff. Man, they're doing product reviews and this and that. So I was already deeply embedded in the writer's community for, for the outdoor network, so to speak. And a good friend of mine, Craig Caudill, who's like a legit uh, writer himself, a legit survival instructor, he reached out to me and he goes, hey, you need to write your book. He goes, I'm going to introduce you to my publisher. And I was like, okay. So I heard from this publisher in January and they said, hey, uh, what are you interested in writing? And I had done a little bit of research on their their site and I saw that they did a lot of cooking books that were like... 52 recipes for 52 weeks and 101 things that you can do with a Dutch oven and all sorts of stuff like that. So I was like, they're used to that format of numbers in the title. I was like, well, how about I give them 101 skills? And then I also wanted it to be like a 101 because of like a college course, like history 101. I wanted it to be entry level. So there is a reason for that title. They got back to me and they're like, hey, send us a, a sample of what you think that table of contents would be. So I pulled off on the highway. I was actually headed up to the Wilderness Learning Center in upstate New York. And I pulled off on the throughway and I was like, okay. And I text messaged myself 101 ideas. And then next, you know, they're like, okay, send us a sample chapter. So I sent them a sample chapter, which was um, land navigation. I figured it was the hardest chapter to write. And by April 1st, they had read through it. They gave me the contract and they're like, okay, you're used to writing. So we think you can probably finish this quickly can you get the writing done in three months? I said, sure. So I did the writing in three months. I had a very structured routine of writing first thing in the morning. I'd go to work, I'd write in the afternoon and I got it done by, by July 1st, submitted that, started taking all the photos for the book. And then I had to do the whole red pen, uh, which was terrifying because they told me at one point after I submitted 101,000 words. They're like, you need to cut a third of your book. And I was like, oh my God. Damn. So uh, I finally got it down to about 81,000. And I'm like, look, I cannot cut anymore. So they extended the book a little bit longer. The book came out in April of 2019. And it's been crushing it ever since where it's been in like the top three, the top two at one point. It's been a bestseller. I mean, it's sold thousands of copies to this point. And I still get really awesome messages from people that are just finding it. So it's doing really well. Like I said, I'm done with the second book. I finished writing that October 15th of last year. And I'm just waiting for Fieldcraft to finalize the contract and say, hey, this is how we're going to do it. But the writing process was was fun. And it was a little, little stressful at times, like with certain photos, because I don't fancy myself a photographer. Mm -hmm. But uh they're like, oh, you got to retake this photo. And that photo might have taken me hours to set up the first time. 
now I got to do it all over again just to, to try it one more time. You know? right. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a good process and I'm, I'm very pleased that I did it. It's something that I think took me to another level as a, as a instructor mm-hmm. uh, to now have a book that I can use as kind of like my own field manual and tell students, hey, follow along if you mm-hmm. want. And what is that book called? 101 skills you need to survive in the outdoors. Okay. And then do you know what the second? In the woods. In the woods. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then do you know what the second book is going to be called or it's still unknown? It's still unknown, but I have the the working title of Advanced Fieldcraft because the first book gives you a baseline of knowledge. The second book, I really want to take the reader to the next level of, hey, you're used to going in the woods and starting a fire. Great. Now let's apply that to a winter camping scenario. You're used to, you know, carrying a few items in a satchel or a backpack. Well, now let's actually talk about long distance backpacking, canoeing, uh, off-road driving, marksmanship, vehicle, uh, equipment repair, all these different things, camp cooking. And uh, there's a twist at the end of the second book that the reader is not going to realize that I was doing to them the entire time. Nice. Okay. And then is this, uh, the first book, is that available on Amazon or do you have a website for that? Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to get a signed copy, you can get it through the Fieldcraft Survival website. If you want to get the cheapest copy, you're going to find it on Amazon because Amazon does some weird shit with their pricing. And at one point they were selling my book for $4.99 when the, I'll just, I, I don't want to go into the, the cost of the book, but let's just say that it was less than half the cost. And I'm like, how the hell is Amazon making any money off of this? But Amazon usually is the cheapest with shipping, Amazon Prime. But you can get it at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Fieldcraft Survival, wherever you decide to get it, it's up to you. Okay. Very nice. And then if anybody wants to listen to the podcast on Fieldcraft Survival or take any of the classes, where can they find that as well? So right on fieldcraftsurvival.com, you can go under training. And you can take a look at what's there. You can actually filter it by location or you can filter it by the type of training that's out there. So I'm on, actually on that website right now. And it says, uh, you know, firearms, you have mobility, medical survival, self-defense. Uh, there's some digital training options as well. So if anyone wants to, you know, do some remote learning still, that's on you. But there, there's a lot of different training offered all around the country. And how do you guys determine which locations you teach classes at? So, so that's really trial and error. We have a few partnership ranges that have been great. Doc Jones and I recently taught in Las Vegas at the Nevada State Troopers headquarters. And that facility was amazing. And it was absolutely free. We sold out pretty much both of those classes. And students were like, hey, look, we like coming here because we can learn from you. But then we have Las Vegas to play in for the rest of the weekend. Mm-hmm. If a facility is in an area which is convenient to get to in terms of having an airport like within 30 minutes, fantastic. We don't want to train anywhere where, if especially if it's firearms, where the nearest like trauma center is two hours away, probably not going to get any firearms training there. Uh, just and that's for safety and liability. You know, it just would be foolish to to have 24 people on a on a firing range and have help three hours away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we tend to, to look at that and then every so often we'll get private training, you know, people that are requesting that saying like, look, I've got this, 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 I've got X number of people. Will you come out here? And then we give them the price and they either say yes or no. So it, it really depends, but we've, we've been burnt a couple times. There's, 
that's part of the, the learning curve of running a training operation. And there are a couple of times where we thought, hey, this is going to be a great location. We had maybe three people there. And those three people got a great education, but the company lost money. So we try to go back to the places that are that are popular, highly populated, that are near airports and near trauma centers. But then also we're expanding into places now that are destinations in of themselves. So Vegas, Orlando, uh, New York City, Boston, you know, places where you can still spend time with your family after you get your training in. Very nice. I like it. And then if anyone wants to follow you and stay up to date with what you're doing, where can they find you on social media? So on social media, uh, you can reach out to me on Instagram. It's at Estella Wild Ed, short for Estella Wilderness Education, which was my old company. So at Estella Wild Ed. I mean, you can email me anytime, Estella at fieldcraftsrevival.com. And if you don't know how to spell my name, just go under about us on our Fieldcraft website and you'll find all sorts of information about me and my contact. Um, and then on the Fieldcraft website, you can also read all my blogs. You can listen to my podcasts that I do. I mean, we're all over. So I'm happy to, to reach out back to you. If you're expecting a, a dissertation for a response, you got to email me. <laughs> I'm not one to thumb type a long response on Instagram. So yeah. if you're like, man, this guy only gave me a one or two word answer. It's like, dude, I got hundreds of these a day. <laughs> and and I'm trying not to to write a lot. So yeah, yeah, that's the best way to reach me. Sorry about my dog. <laughs> hey, never apologize for pooches. Uh, we're very dog friendly over here. Does she sound like she's like a big dog? Does she sound totally aggressive? Okay, good. yeah, that sounds like she'd rip out a, a butt. <laughs> good, that's what we were going for. She was just practicing. Good job, peaches. <laughs> the terrifying name right there too. Peaches. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just, you know, it's to be unsuspecting, you know, like peaches and you call and they're expecting some cute little dog and then peaches appears and it turns out she's a six pound chihuahua. <laughs> Ankle biter. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, moving on with the rest of the show called well. They have a new version of their Emac Shadows. The Emac Shadow Pro has some new bells and whistles added. They're very similar to the original Emac Shadows, but with added push button controls to make them easier to control. You can adjust the ambient noise level, change the volume, as well as answer calls and so on. They also have a magnetic lanyard and rechargeable storage case with a battery level indicator. The earbuds themselves run for six hours on their own. When you drop them in the case, they charge right up and... There are separate indicators for each that you know that they're both fully charged. They're certified for 25 decibel of noise reduction, so they'll keep you hearing safe. They go for $169.99, but remember, if you use the code GUNFUNNY10, all one word, you're going to get 10% off your entire order. And again, that is caldwellshooting.com. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political Today in politics, Biden doubles down threatening gun owners, which I feel like the political segment is just on repeat as to how many stupid things Biden continues to say. But here we go. This past Tuesday, Biden spoke at a university in Pennsylvania about the Safer America plan. He said, we just passed the first significant gun safety legislation in 30 years in this country. And I promise you, we're not stopping here. I'm determined to ban assault weapons in this country. 
He bragged about being the one that got the 94 assault weapons ban passed, which he was only a small part of, and that it brought down these mass killings. However, after the DOJ own reports, the ban had no discernible reduction in the lethality and injuriousness of gun violence, and when adjusted for population, no effect on reducing the number of killings. He went on to say that this is not about taking away anyone's guns, which is exactly actually what he wants to do. He wants to ban all quote-unquote assault weapons, which according to their definition of assault rifles, there are at least 20 million and probably nearly as many pistols that fall under the guise of that label. He then went on to threaten gun owners, saying, and for those brave right-wing Americans who say it's all about keeping America, keeping America as independent and safe, if you want to fight against a country, you need an F-15. You need something a little more than a gun. No, I'm not joking. Think about this. Think about the rationale we use that's used to provide this. And who are they shooting at? They're shooting at those guys behind me. The whole sentence makes like no sense. This from the same guy who left full auto machine guns, military vehicles, and artillery to the Taliban and abandoned Americans in Afghanistan. He even went on to repeat the popular lie that guns kill more children than any other cause in the U.S., which doesn't have any truth to it. If anything, I would think probably swimming pools. Another gem from the speech, he said, do you realize the bullet out of an AR-15 travels five times as rapidly as a bullet shot out of any other gun five times is lighter and can pierce Kevlar? I swear. (laughs) Basically, he proves every time he opens his mouth, he knows nothing about firearms and will tell any lie to justify infringing on our rights. On Thursday, he spoke again and made clear that anyone who doesn't support his agenda is considered a terrorist or a Nazi. The man who claimed that he would be the great unifier is doing absolutely everything he can to divide us even more, which is just it's so frustrating. I hate when politicians just don't know what they're talking about. I think that's more frustrating than any sort of agenda that they're trying to implement. Like it would be one thing if they actually knew what they were trying to do or ban, but It's like they don't even know what they're talking about. And then to feed the public this, and this is where the public is getting their knowledge, is even more frustrating. Definitely do your research, guys. I mean, with any politician, you know, right or left, like really, you know, do some research and make sure that whatever they're telling you, don't take their word for it. But definitely double check where this information is coming from. Franklin Armory. Kevin, have you ever shot binary before, a binary trigger? You know, I have used a binary trigger, and they're impressive. I Maybe a little too too advanced for my my liking. I tend to be a pull a trigger one time at works one time guy. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely I definitely have tried them out. A good buddy of mine has one, and I was like, oh, that was awesome. Yeah, I know. I know. I think they're so much fun. And the best part is, is like once you put that trigger in, you're not just stuck shooting in binary mode. You could always just flip the switch and shoot it in semi and you have best of both worlds. And actually the trigger itself is not that bad. It's probably a little better than like your average mil spec trigger, but they do have it for all different platforms, including the AK platform. They have these for normal AKs as well as nine millimeter versions. One thing though, that they're not designed for is the underfolding AKs or the 12 gauge variants. So just keep that in mind, but definitely check these out at uh, franklinarmory.com. Remember to use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, and you're going to get 10% off your entire order. Q&A. 
There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's Q&A is somebody asked me, is Polymer 80 really selling 80% frames without serial numbers? I don't know if you know what's going on with, you know, all the 80% guns and basically like you can't sell them anymore. Everything has to be serialized. But Polymer 80 is actually taking it up a little notch. They are selling 80% frames without serial numbers. Most of the other 80% manufacturers aren't at this point, but Polymer 80 has resumed selling their frames without serial numbers. The difference now is that they're selling the 80% frame without a jig or tools. There's no parts to complete it in order to comply with the new ATF rule. So as always, I guess there's always loopholes. If you want to get the kit with the tools and the jig, it has to be serialized. I mean, I guess the way around that is just to buy the kit with the jig. I think they now make it so that the jig can be used up to three times. And then obviously the tools, I think, could be used multiple times. But it's still legal for you to build your own. But if you buy the kit, it has to be serialized. So keep that in mind. But if you buy the frame, it does not have to be serialized, which, again, it just goes to show all these laws that pass. It's not really enforceable and there's always ways around it, which is so stupid. And again, they're not concentrating on the real issue, which is not guns that they're choosing. But, you know, the reason what gives people the ability to think that it's okay to take another person's life. But anyways, we'll see how this plays out. I'm sure that there's going to be some pushback, but time will tell. IWI. The Uzi Pro is one of the most iconic guns from the 80s movies. I have one. I love it. It still has the same iconic design. The Uzi Pro is like the original Uzi that they came out with, but with a lot of modern upgrades. The charging handle is on the left side so that you can mount an optic on the top rail. There's an accessory rail and a more modern mag release on the side of the grip instead of the bottom. The new Uzi Pro all have like threaded barrels as well so that you can put a can on it. I personally just put the silencer co-suppressor on it. It shoots great. I love it. You could also get them with or without the brace from SB Tactical, which I ended up changing mine out because I didn't really like how big it was. But obviously, you can swap it out for like a gearhead work tail hook or anything else. And then I also added a foreign that gives you an angled foregrip and a couple more inches of rail space, you know, for better shooting. So definitely check this out. Head on over to IWI.us and don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY15, all one word, and that's going to get you 15% off. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Today in Tactic Talk, so did you see that Ruger just released a 5.7 carbine? I did. and. That is gonna smash. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think it's. Uh, I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, they've made some really, really incredible firearms. Their uh, pistol caliber rifle, the PCR, that takedown one, mm-hmm. that in a Magpul stock is incredible. And now I'm just waiting to see what Magpul is going to release eventually for this thing. Right. Yeah. This actually just came out the other day when I was in North Carolina with Classic Firearms and Stag. And it's crazy how many people or how many manufacturers are releasing guns chambered in 5.7 by 28, which I really like the caliber. 
I mean, maybe you have something to add to it, but I personally, I always said for the longest time, like if shit hits the fan, the gun that I'm grabbing is going to be the P90 because you hold, you know, 50 rounds of the five, seven, it's a decent caliber. It's, you know, still small, lightweight. And what people don't realize is like, if you ever had to, you know, leave your house or wherever you have your ammo, you're only going to be able to take as much ammo as you can carry. For me, it also, you know, is important that the ammo is lightweight, but yet still effective. And I think 5.7 kind of plays a pretty pivotal role in crossing off both of those requirements. But anyway, so if you haven't seen the Ruger LC carbine, it's essentially the Ruger 57 pistol turned into a rifle. The upper is, of course, different, but the grip and the trigger group share the same design and, of course, the same magazines. The upper has replaced the slide with an internal bolt carrier assembly inside an aluminum chassis. The chassis includes a free-floated forend with M-lock slots and a full-length Picatinny rail on top. It comes with Magpul flip-up irons and at the back as a Picatinny rail with side-folding adjustable stock. The barrel is 16.25 inches with spiral fluting. And it is, of course, threaded so that you can suppress it. It has a side charging handle on the left side, and the safety is ambidextrous, just like the pistol. Best part is price-wise, they've made it extremely competitive. It's only $9.79 MSRP, which is pretty affordable and less than like the Diamondback DBX and the CMMG MK57. I would love to get my hands on one. I still haven't even gotten my hands on the pistol that they came out with, like what was it, two years ago? It was like right before COVID, I believe. But yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. And then also the best thing about all these manufacturers coming out with new guns that are chambered in the 5.7 is hopefully this makes ammo companies, you know, start producing more of that 5.7 ammo, which would drive the price down. Yeah. And with the Ruger, you're going to get a firearm that's probably not going to break. I know 1022s, Mini 14s, like they build them like tanks. You know, some of the other stuff I'm not really a big fan on, but I know some of the early pistols and revolvers that they came out with, I mean, they're they're sturdy. Like I carry a Ruger Red Hawk when I go into the, the deep woods mm-hmm. and it's one of, with the ammo that I use, which is from Buffalo Bore, they say that they will absolutely recommend it for the Ruger, but they said other revolvers aren't strong enough to handle that that ammo. So uh, yeah, Ruger makes some, some solid guns and I'm sure this will be one of them. Yeah, definitely. I just want to know. So when you go in the deep woods, do you put mm-hmm. on any sort of like mosquito repellent? You know, I've got a, a new mosquito repellent that I've been using for about four months now called Bullseye. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of using DEET, which I mean, I've had DEET get on my compass base plate and it's melted my compass. Okay. And I've had it on my, on a previous car that I owned, it melted the, like the uh, synthetic leather. I was like, Jesus, I'm Damn. putting this on on clothing that's going right next to my skin, I'll pass. Yeah. So uh, I started using this stuff called Bullseye, which has a chemical called IR3535. When it goes on, after it's on, you don't even feel like it's on your skin. And instead of just preventing the insect from landing on you, it like shields you. It's hard to explain, but I've, I've given bottles to friends of mine and they're like, Kev, this is the best stuff I've ever used. But quite honestly, out here in Utah, there's not a lot of yeah. creepy crawlies. When I go back to Connecticut or I'm up in Maine or New Hampshire, oh yeah, that's that's where I'm bringing that stuff and I'm putting it on because oh, yeah. some of the some of the black flies, I mean, they'll land on you and they'll draw blood. <laughs> yeah, I know. Actually, that's so true. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's I hate when. Well, I haven't had any like draw blood, but like they definitely bite and you feel it. And 
I also heard that a lot of these black flies, they start biting when it's about to rain. Really? I've never heard that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Which I thought was so weird, but I have kind of noticed a little bit of a correlation. So maybe it's true. All I know is like when I was in North Carolina, obviously I planned on wearing shorts and they were like, uh, no, do you have any pants? Cause you want to wear pants. And of course I only had these stupid Capri jeans that had like rips in them. And you know, cause I mean, stylish. And I was like, cool, guess this is what I'm going to be doing three gun in. And I still sprayed myself with the deep stuff and I still, I mean, even these mosquitoes, they still managed to like get through my jeans, like bite me through my jeans and stuff. I mean, granted, I'm sure the holes played a, a role, <laughs> but it was, ugh, I couldn't, I don't think I could live out there. And then at one point we were recording and I just could hear all around us. I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if we got eaten by bugs right now because just the amount of noise that they were making. And yeah, but I should try that out. It was called bullseye. You said, yes, yeah, it's called bullseye. It's a little bit pricier, but it's totally worth it. It goes on with an alcohol instead of an oil. So it dries very quickly and you don't get that like weird residue. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is just funky. Oh, I know. Um, it's gross. You know, and then you, you know, in my experience, I'd have it on my skin, I'd go in my sleeping bag, and then it just it, it just felt nasty, you know, when when I would get in the sleeping bag. So this stuff, it doesn't have that that weird residue anymore and, and it really does work. So very nice. Okay. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. All right. So today's AF segment, gun grabbers set their sights on credit card processors, which this isn't actually anything new. They've been wanting to do this. So the Giffords Gun Control Group has renewed their plan to get credit card processors to act as big brother and track gun purchases. Like I said, this isn't the first time that they've done this, and quite a few card processors refuse to do business with companies that have anything to do with firearms to begin with. I know like Chase Bank, they dropped me years ago when they found out that I was selling firearms, which I will not bank with Chase because of that. Some that do still work with firearm companies, like they report on the sales to ATF, Authorized.net, for example, we know reported on Palmer 80 sales to the ATF in California. Now, though, they're trying to get any credit card company to have special purchase codes for firearms and ammunition so that they can monitor all purchases made by law-abiding citizens and flag any that seem to be out of the norm and report them to law enforcement for investigation. They point to shooters in mass shootings having stockpiled guns and ammo, most of which are a couple of guns and a thousand rounds of ammo at most, which for most of us, that's not even enough for a good day at the range. Basically, it almost puts every gun owner, you know, to be flagged for an investigation if this does go through. Time will tell, but stay on the lookout. But I think, I mean, this is just another crazy angle that gun grabbers are coming. And, you know, it's just, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Do you have anything to add to that? Oh, Jesus. I could go on for days about that. Like, a couple of years ago, Chase froze a whole bunch of Fieldcraft Survival assets, like our one of our accounts that we have here, no explanation. They said, you'll get it back in 90 days. Well, it was a substantial amount of money. We've since stopped doing business with Chase as well. But this is just like what they're doing to a lot of folks on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and all these places. Like like I've got a friend, Jason Gustafson of Lester River Bushcraft. The man makes wool hooded shirts and he's getting flagged by companies for selling weapons. And he's like, I've never sold a weapon. He's like, I make wool garments. But these companies, I don't know if it's their algorithm or it's some nerd behind the computer who 
is like looking at like, oh, this guy's wearing a wool shirt and maybe in the background there's an axe. Oh my God, that's a weapon. You know, like this is nothing new. And the latest thing that I heard about, which is really bizarre, and I would love to see someone fight this, is that UPS is giving people a hard time when they're shipping gun parts. Mm -hmm. And then they're also stealing them. Yeah, exactly. So I hope someone just goes after them Mm -hmm. with some very high-powered lawyers and they, you know, hold their feet to the fire because a lot of this stuff is just nonsense. It's all, it's all major and you're not accomplishing anything. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. It's just, it's ridiculous. And honestly, I'm just so tired of being treated like a criminal or even like having, you know, where guns are categorized right up there with marijuana and pornography. Yeah. Like, have you noticed that with like credit card companies? Uh, It's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, I just, I still think, I mean, within our community, there are some people that are their own worst enemy, but I think we still have a bigger threat uh, to our interests with, you know, shooting sports and self-defense. And those are the people that just don't understand, you know, and we're painted and we tend to kind of, I don't know, we, instead of wanting to bring in the people that don't like guns to try to convert them, mm-hmm. we push them away just as quickly as they're, they push us away. And we're, if we're quick to, you know, do the whole cancel thing, it's like, we're doing the same tactic as them. If anything, you got to invite your friend who's never shot before and give them something that's fun. Maybe something with a giggle switch Yeah, and yeah. let them shoot. And then let them say, man, I need one of those. And guess what? That's a victory in our corner and we can slowly, you know, turn the tide. But, yeah, I, I think we're still painted as being crazy. And mm-hmm. yet you look at examples of people who are trained, people who are willing to be their own first responder, and they're proving that, hey, we're not crazy. We're actually the help that you're going to wish you had when the police don't get there for minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I could go on and on and on. Uh, the caffeine has kicked in. So if I uh, start talking a little <laughs> fast or if I get a little bit more passionate, you'll know why. But uh, no, I, I think I think we're we're still in the fight for our, our lives here in terms of maintaining our, our interests. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think with this current administration, they're doing us any favors. Oh, I know. I know. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I think absolutely well said. Like, I think that, well, I mean, if nothing else, I think even COVID, I think opened up a lot of people's eyes who were probably against anything that we stand for. And that's also what kind of pisses me off about Biden's speech, where he's saying, you know, if you're right wing and you're on that side and you're trying to preserve America and gun rights, which is funny because nowadays, like, there's so many gun owners that aren't even right wing. I mean, they're on, you know, the left side. And that's also why I've been pretty, I, you know, even the way that the show is, sometimes I'll rephrase a lot of the show notes because I'm like, I don't really want it to sound like we're against the left or, you know, make the left sound like the bad people, because really they're not. A lot of people nowadays are very much in the middle. So I don't even want to turn anybody off because, you know, I mean, I think we're all in this together and we are, you know, if, if nothing else, like a lot of eyes have been open to, hey, we probably should take safety into our own hands, whether that's with a gun, learning some sort of, you know, survival techniques, you know, and so forth. Yeah, I wish covid I mean, I wish we still had the the same kind of gravity of, of that situation where people were going to the stores and buying guns like crazy. Like it was it was awesome going to like my local like small hunting shops and seeing everything in the case right. that was nine millimeter 
gone. Yeah. And like the only thing that was left was like maybe like a little 22, like micro Derringer, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like, but everything was gone. And then, you know, there were people that were buying stuff that you're like, no one shoots that, but they're like, oh, I want my 350 Remington. It's like, yeah, really? <laughs> you like that caliber? No, but it's available. I mean, yeah. Like, I'm I'm still waiting for a lot of those guns to show up on the secondary market because I'm going to go on a shopping spree. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm actually surprised that it hasn't yet because That's I I was also, I know it is because I was like one of the first people to say like, yeah, the minute things change, I think a lot of the people, and because I'm a firearms instructor and I was training a lot of people that used to be anti-gun, I could almost see it that I'm like, I just don't know if it is going to sway their beliefs. But so far, I mean, some of them already have gone back to, oh, okay, the cops are showing up now when we call 911. But a lot of them actually, I think it was eye-opening and it did change their mind for the better and for good. And so that is, you know, good to see. I guess more time will tell, but so far it seems like everything kind of worked in favor for, you know, what we've been saying for years. Yeah. And good luck getting that genie back in the bottle. You know, I I heard you talking about all the number of firearms that are out there. I don't know. And I mean, we train a lot of law enforcement. I don't know many law enforcement that are looking forward to the idea of, oh, let's go door to door, Mm -hmm. you know? And I worry more about politicians pulling a, like a snaky, sneaky move. Yeah. And I didn't misspeak by calling them snaky. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think they're going to go after ammunition. Mm -hmm. uh, And I think they're going to go after, even I'm worried about like, oh, are you getting paramilitary training? Well, what the hell is paramilitary training? Is it that you're learning how to shoot a a rifle well in an apple seed shoot? Are you now suddenly a paramilitary guy because you know how to shoot a 22? You know, like I worry about those labels because they're already starting to show up. Like the whole idea of prepper that I talked about earlier, people are okay calling themselves that now, but the word that people still worry about is survivalist. Well, am I technically a survivalist because I wrote a book and I tend to live by what I teach? Yeah. Um, does that make me a threat to you? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But I worry that those are the titles that are going to be used against us and they're going to slowly try to take away the rights. And once they take it away, you'd never get it back. Yeah. So I'm worried that they're going to say, well, we're going to go after ammo and well, you can still get ammo. You just have to pay a tax. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, taxation's theft. Yeah. I'm not paying our tax. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, this is, I mean, same with the credit card companies. Like if they can't ban guns tomorrow, they're coming at you from all different angles, trying to get you on a certain list or under investigation or make it more expensive or harder to get. And it's just, I mean, it's exhausting. And this is the perfect reason why you guys have to stay vigilant, be active, write to your representatives, you know, donate to the organizations that are fighting the good fight and just not be complacent. Okay. It is time to wrap up. So unfortunately we don't have any iTunes reviews today. If you guys haven't, please leave us a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. And if you guys want to find any of the social media, just head on over to gunfunny.com. You can listen to the show there. You could find my YouTube channel, which actually I did review the new Smith and Wesson 2.0 metal. So definitely check that out. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, all of that good stuff. If you enjoy the show, you should consider becoming a Patreon. You could do a one-time donation or a monthly donation. Either way, it's greatly appreciated. You get access to our Facebook-only Patreon group or our Patreon-only Facebook group. Clearly, I haven't had enough coffee yet. And it's just a lot of fun in that group. It's kind of like a little family. So if you guys want to talk to like like-minded people that have a sense of humor, 
and just laugh and talk about guns or nothing related to guns, I would highly recommend becoming a Patreon. Also, Blown Deadline, he's giving away a $300 gift certificate to a lucky Patreon each month. And I want to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Callamore, Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian, Tristan Smith, and Melissa Ridings. And King of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. And Kevin, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate everything that you're doing and just even educating, you know, people out there on just everything. Can you just remind people once again where they can find you and Fieldcraft Survival on the internet? Yeah. So uh, just go to www.fieldcraftsurvival.com and you'll be able to find all of our survival blogs. You'll be able to find our training courses and whatnot. You can find all of the podcasts that we do on iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that. I go over to our YouTube channel, which is Fieldcraft Survival. We have a Twitter page, which I run. It's usually a whole bunch of survival content. It's Fieldcraft Tweet. Uh, you can find me at Estella Wild Ed. That's E-S-T-E-L-A-W-I-L-D-E-D. You can email me at Estella at Fieldcraft Survival. You can definitely find me around campfires, wherever we're running courses. And like I said, guys, I, uh, I'm here to answer questions. So if there's anything that I can do to help you out, I'm going to do that. Email me and I'll get you the best answer possible. Awesome. All right, guys, on that note, I will see you next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.